0: Welcome to another episode of the SaaS podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Today's guest is Roby Ganguly. Roby is the co founder and CEO of App Attentive, a SaaS platform that provides tools for mobile app makers to engage with customers. positive ratings, feedback, and customer research. Apptentive's customers include Urban Spoon, Overstock, and Real Networks. The company was founded in 2011 and to date has raised $6.5 million in funding. In this episode, we talk about how frustration with the App Store led to an idea for a new SaaS product, how the co-founders waited another two years before they launched the business, the tactics that the co-founders used to try and acquire new customers, how it took them about a year to get their first two paying customers, and the moment of insight that helped them get to over $100,000 a month in revenue. Roby, welcome to the show. Thanks. Nice to talk to you, Omer. Now, I gave the audience a brief overview of your product and business, but tell us a little bit more about yourself personally. Who is Roby when he's not working?
1: <laughs> um well, so I, I think uh, I'm a, I'm a Seattleite at heart. I grew up in Redmond, uh, Washington. And despite leaving for a number of years to go to school in California and then to work in San Francisco, I've always been a Seattle homer cheering for the hometown teams and, and really love it here. So I moved back in 2008. And uh, you know I love to run uh, along the waterfront in Seattle. I love to have friends over and cook and grill and barbecue, especially during our wonderful summers. And, and I like to read um, and, and try to, you know, educate myself on uh on a regular basis.
0: Now you've you've from what I understand, you've lived in Redmond for a long time, like way before even the Microsoft days, right?
1: Yeah. So my parents moved from Portland to Redmond in 1981. And back when I was a kid, you know, the company that was that was famous in Redmond was Nintendo. And especially as a kid, Nintendo was, was awesome. I used to actually test games for them. But it wasn't until like the nineties Microsoft really became a thing. So Redmond, not many people know this, but it used to be a small farm town. We used to get milk delivered in glass bottles. And it was a lot different than it is today.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, I arrived in uh, the Seattle area, I guess the first time was probably about 2000. And I think even then when you arrived at, um, uh, you know, Seattle Tacoma International Airport, it always seemed like this was an airport and a city that never expected anybody else to turn up. Uh, you know, yeah, and and it's kind right. of like it's evolved over the last 10 years, but it was really strange in those days
1: I mean, we we had so few people coming to visit that we had to actually build our own airline uh, airplane company Boeing yeah. So that we could fly them in, you know
0: <laughs> Cool now we like to kick things off with a success quote to better understand what drives and motivates our guests What is one of your favorite quotes?
1: well, so, um uh, as an entrepreneur trying to work on an idea that in in many ways is is brand new and revolutionary and changing behaviors, I think a lot about long-term uh, thinking and and how to make change in, in movement. And so one of my favorites along those lines is by um, a German uh, philosopher, Arthur Schopenhauer, uh, and and his quote goes like this, all truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as being self-evident. And, uh, you know, I think about that a lot in terms of the battles we have to change behavior and, and the things that get set along the way and, and what signposts we have in terms of, are we really making a difference? And, and will this eventually become obvious to everybody when it seems obvious to us as a small team?
0: So, so do you think that applies both in terms of, um, you know, entrepreneurs when they have ideas and people tell them that maybe it's a stupid idea or, um, you know, working with customers and convincing them that they, they, you know, this is the future, I guess, is a combination of those?
1: I think it is very much a combination of those. And it's, entrepreneurship is, is a, uh, you know, a big battle of of persistence and stubbornness, I think, on the part of the early founding team in, in many different ways. Um, But particularly in, in places where you're inventing, um, where you're creating something brand new or you're creating a way of doing something that, that is different. A lot of people will eventually, uh, if you're right, they will eventually accept it and say, oh, of course it should have worked that way. But the early days, most of the time people are saying, no, here's all the reasons why no. Um, and uh, I think that's one of the tough things about really founding and, and starting any venture on your own is how many people will basically tell you no. That's crazy.
0: Right. Now, uh, let's start by giving the listeners a better understanding of AppTensive. Uh, can you talk a little bit about who are your target customers and what, what's the pain point that you're trying to solve here? Yeah, yeah. So
1: we work with thousands of people who make mobile apps. Our, our, um, our service is built and priced in a way that if you're very small, you can start using it and just get benefits. But uh, our real target customer, the place where we do the most business is with the world's largest brands, you know, some of the largest retailers in the world, some of the largest shopping sites in the world. uh, Companies with some of the most popular mobile apps that have been downloaded tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of times, use us as software inside their mobile apps to allow them to communicate with their customers. And what that means is that if you're using a mobile app and you're frustrated, uh, if something's confusing, if a transaction goes awry, when... That app is using AppTentive. There are really easy ways for you as the consumer to reach out and tell them, to ask them questions, to, to let them know something might be awry or you're confused. Um, but very importantly, from the company side, our tools make it very easy for them to start the conversation and to reach out to you and try and figure out even before you get frustrated how they can help you and serve you better. Uh, and we think about that as as analogous to the real world where you might go to a store like Nordstrom. Nordstrom's Uh, a famous Seattle company and and they're well known for their service in the store and they treat you really well. And they, they they just make you feel special as a customer. And we think that that's a phenomenal way to do business, but inside of mobile apps more often than not, it doesn't feel that way. So we help companies do that. We help them deliver that Nordstrom like experience in their mobile apps to millions of people at a time.
0: Yeah. I guess the typical experience with a lot of apps is you get, you get frustrated, um, there's no way to kind of contact anybody or give any feedback. Maybe you can go back, let's say if you're, um, you know, using an iPhone, maybe you can go back to iTunes and figure out where the developer's website is. Right. Um, some people like to leave, you know, kind of, uh, you know, a a crappy complaint as a feedback or a review of the product, which isn't helpful for anybody either. Yeah. Um, And
1: that's, that's one of the big premises of our service is that, Ratings and reviews in the app stores, all of them, kind of stink. They're not a great communication vehicle for the, the customer, and they're not a great cu- uh, communication vehicle for the company. And um, being able to use your, your app to actually solve that problem makes more sense for both sides. It's just easier. It's more convenient. You get, you know, problem solved as opposed to just ranting.
0: So let's talk about the early days because you guys have been in business for, I guess, four years
1: or? That's right. Yeah, a little over four.
0: How did you, how did you come up with the idea for this product?
1: Yeah. Um, so I think many ideas are, are the confluence of experiences and, and different jobs and roles people have had. And, and like that, our, our founding team, the four of us, uh, saw a lot of different stuff over the past 15 years. We worked at companies like Apple, Yahoo, Microsoft, GrayStripe, um, WebEx. We've seen a lot of different software being built. We've seen a lot of mobile software being built. And, and so we all had various experiences on what advertising and marketing and mobile and, and um, consumer engagement look like. And what really spurred the idea after we'd we've, we've gone through many of those experiences is that in 2008, when I moved back to Seattle, I drove up with one of, one of our co-founders, Andrew Wooster. He and I drove up from San Francisco to Seattle in my U-Haul, and we both left our companies about nine months prior. I left Yahoo, he left Apple, and when we were driving up, all we talked about was really the App Store. And it, This is December of 2008, the App Store is about six months old. Uh, Andrew left Apple just to build iPhone apps. So at this point in time, he's been in market in the app store for about six months, and he was he was doing pretty well. He was uh, selling 12 different apps to the tune of four or $500 a day in revenue, which was really pretty impressive six months in. And as we were talking about it, it became really clear that a few things were really true. So the first was he didn't know who his customers were. He had no idea who was buying his apps. He was just getting reports from Apple. Uh, the second thing is that if somebody bought one of his apps, it was likely that they would be interested in some of his other apps. There was enough similarity between them that that made sense. But because he had no idea who his customers were, he didn't have any opportunity to try and talk to them and communicate that they might want their his other apps. And the third was that in the app store, he was starting to get negative feedback and he couldn't really do much to diagnose it. Uh, you know, Many times he would see something and people would say, hey, it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work is not a helpful comment, right? It All it is is a, it's a sign that something is frustrating for an end consumer, but it doesn't give details about where it doesn't work and why and what situations. So as an engineer, as somebody who's building the product, he didn't have any good ways to go find out more and he really wanted to. So he and others like him were struggling to try and get in touch with consumers. And uh, so we drove from San Francisco to Seattle and we talked about this for, Of the 16-hour drive, we probably talked about it for 13 hours, talking about all of the different ways that this seemed challenging and frustrating for a developer and all of the ways in which, since he had worked at Apple, he knew Apple wasn't going to be interested in solving this problem. And we talked about the fact that the Android App Store was clearly going to create similar issues. So that's where the the gem of the idea really started to take hold. Uh, And then two days later when we were in Seattle, we met with our CTO, our now CTO, but then he was just, you know, another college friend of ours and, and talked to him, Mike. And Mike was at Microsoft and Windows mobile working on, you know, Windows mobile devices. So he had a perspective on mobile as well. And and it just was obvious to all three of us at that point in time. So that's where the idea came from.
0: But that was back in, you said, December, 2008. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you guys launched in 2011, <laughs> yep. so what happened in between
1: <laughs> well I think I think many of my friends who have started companies have said there are th- similar fits and starts and there are similar uh, conversations that happened before the real founding and, and what happened was when we were driving up I was driving up to Seattle to come work on another idea with some other friends and Andrew was very happy working on his iOS apps and Mike was very happy in Windows Mobile and Microsoft so we talked about it and we said hey this is pretty good And we started emailing and kind of brainstorming ideas in fits and starts nights and weekends. But we didn't really make progress. Um, And so the idea just kept sitting there, I think, for all three of us. And from time to time, we'd chat about it. And Mike and I, because we were in Seattle together, would actually get together from time to time and work on um, trying to build iPhone apps and just learning the framework and the process on our own. Uh, In fact, we, we, during that time, probably made one of the worst iPhone games ever. Called word passer it was like a similar to a catchphrase for the iPhone, and it was just terrible, but it was a test case for us um, and uh you know, is it still in, later, is it
0: still in the app store
1: uh, I think we took it down because we didn't we weren't making the ninety nine dollars a year to pay for it to keep it up right so it didn't make any sense um, <laughs> It was always amazing to us when people bought it because we also premium priced it. Um, and people were paying 3 or $4 for this app that we thought could really be a lot better. Um, but uh, two years later, in December of 2010, I was in San Francisco. I was having a cup of coffee at the uh, Fisherman's Wharf, or, or actually the Ferry Building, with Andrew. And, and we were both chatting about what the last two years had held for us. And we were doing some consulting work, both, both of us in different areas. Um, and I said, you know that idea we've been batting around, this sort of mobile communications platform, Or for apps first. Don't you think, don't you think we should be building that? Isn't that, isn't that what we really should be doing? We should give it a shot. And he said, yeah, you're right. We should. I'm just going to fly up to Seattle. I'm going to stay with you. Let's build, let's build an MVP, the three of us. Uh, and it was as simple as that final conversation to be a catalyst. And then we booked March, March of 2011. He, uh, he flew up and came into town on March 9th. I still remember picking him up at the airport. And uh, March 10th, we sat down on my couch, Mike, Andrew, and I, and talked about what we needed to do in the next 30 days while we had Andrew in in town, sleeping on my couch. And um, we mapped out what we were going to do and what we were going to build. And, and 30 days later, we had an end-to-end prototype that worked. And it was actual working software. And so that's what it took to, to transition over a course of like, a bit over two years from an idea to really starting to make something.
0: What do you think happened that convinced you guys to get together and spend the next thirty days building this MVP? Um, when, when it hadn't been there, hadn't been that sense of urgency for the last two years. What, what, what changed?
1: I think it was. I think it was two things. So I think one was. It, it was becoming obvious year over year that mobile apps were growing at a pace that was unprecedented. I mean, in 2008, when the App Store came out, it might be hard to remember now, but when that App Store came out, there were less than, uh, I believe, 10 million iPhones in circulation. So people were not thinking, oh, my God, this is huge. This is, everybody's going to have one of these, and we can make software for hundreds of millions of people. Uh, but two years later, they'd sold probably 50, 70, 100 million iPhones. Um, and they were on on the second and third versions of the iPhones, and, and people were just, you know, really ecstatic about it. And then Android had started to really pick up speed. So you you could see, you know, over the course of that two years that what we had assumed might be possible was actually way below what actually was happening. <laughs> we thought, oh, maybe this will be, like, a, a pretty meaningful phenomenon for 100 million people. But it was obvious that... Um, it was growing faster than we could have expected. We we always, I think, thought that mobile would eventually be a worldwide phenomenon, that every human being on the face of the planet would be connected through mobile devices. But I think um, the data said it was going to happen faster than anybody could have predicted.
0: Okay, so um, did you guys get the MVP built at the end we of those did. 30 days?
1: We did. Not only did we get it built, uh, we had named the company. We had a logo, we had an actual website, uh, you know, for, for marketing purposes. We had like our first slide decks that we were talking about. I had six blog posts up on the blog. We, we started to feel like a real company we'd incorporated, named it, actually done all the legal work. It was, it was an intense 30 days. We just sort of sat down and cranked out all the things that were necessary to build a basic business online.
0: Had, had any of you guys, uh, was this was the was this the first business for all of you?
1: No, all three of us um, had done in our own time our own projects. So I had worked on a couple of different projects with several friends. You know, one was around fantasy sports, one was around um, online education. Mike and I have known each other since 1998 when we were interns at Real Networks, and he and I had prototyped and built a number of different things before. Um, but never this intensely and this, this, this much focus um, on a near-term goal. And, and Andrew, for years, had, in addition to his consulting, he'd obviously built his own iPhone app business, uh, and he would also you know, maintained several web projects over the years and, and built several pieces of open-source software that are interesting. So we'd all had you know, a process of thinking about releasing stuff to the world, putting it out there, making software, testing it.
0: Got it. Okay. All right. So you've got the MVP, you've got a company. It's, as you said, it's, it's starting to feel like a real company as well. Um, uh, what, what happened next?
1: So, uh, put, put Andrew back on a plane. He went back to San Francisco and we had, we had polish to do. We had bugs to fix. We had use cases. We hadn't thought of that became obvious that we should be building for. So we continue to make progress. And, and so, this is about April of 2011 and we were looking forward uh, a month and a half and Apple's worldwide developer conference was coming up. So we made that like a stake in the ground to go out and really start to get true customer feedback and, and put it in front of people. And we made um, kind of a little uh, dummy test app that we could put AppTentive into. And then we put AppTentive into one of Andrew's early iPhone apps. And so, in June of 2011, I flew down to San Francisco, stayed um, at uh, a friend's place for the week, and then basically went to all the activities around uh, the Worldwide Developer Conference. I didn't actually go to the conference. It was $1,600. We were we were not uh, going to spend money for me to go into <laughs> the conference. But instead, I went to the events, the happy hours, and just shook hands with anybody I could and asked them if they were working on an app. And if they were working on an app, I, I asked them. What it was and how they talked to their customers. And I just did customer development basically over the course of six or seven days, meeting as many people as possible, creating coffee meetings, handing out my business card. And by the end of that, I had, I think it was 20 or 22 pages of uh, notes in Word docs about all the people I'd met and the things they'd said about what I'd shown them and the use cases and what might be interesting, and what might not, and what's confusing. And um, I think that in combination with something else that happened that week, which is I, I spent time with uh, Sky, who is our fourth co founder. He was a friend of Andrew's and, and now is a friend of all of ours. But um, that week, he and I were talking about what we were doing, and he said, Well, I can work on the Android side of this. Do you want Android support? You've got iOS. Do you want Android? And we said, Absolutely, that's very important. And so he was excited about what we were doing, so he started to to join us that week as well. So it felt like we came out of WWDC in 2011 with momentum, with customer development, with traction, and we we really haven't stopped since then.
0: So the feedback that you got when you went out and talked to folks, what were some of the the sort of the high-level insights you got from that? Did it Did it kind of, was it as easy as... Wow, this is just validating everything that we're doing or or was there some feedback that you got which told you guys that you know maybe you were moving in the right direction but not quite
1: oh yeah, absolutely I mean ideal would have been to show them the demo and talk about what you're doing and have them say, "Here's my card, you need to contact me i I will pay you to do this that <laughs> was not that was not what happened. There were a lot of people who said things like i." Freaking hate the App Store. I hate ratings and reviews. It's so frustrating. There are a bunch of people who said, Oh my gosh, you know, I really should think about this. Um, how long does it take to integrate? How big is it? Because at the time, again, this is, this is going way back. At the time, the over the air limit for downloading apps onto the iPhone was, I think it was 25 megabytes. So everybody's very concerned about adding extra code to their apps. There are a number of SDK providers out there that had already started to take hold that were in some ways polluting the landscape because they'd done bad things or they'd caused crashes and people were starting to get wary. So <clears throat> we got a lot of questions around, Hey, how would this work? What size is it? How much time does it take to integrate? What do I need to do? How do I manage the volume? Um, but what we really heard over and over again was there's gotta be a better way than what we're doing today. Um, it's really frustrating dealing with ratings and reviews in the app store. And <laughs> fundamentally, I do see what you're saying. I, th- I think we probably should listen to and talk to our customers. Um, and so that was enough for us to say, okay, well, we've got a bunch of people to keep conversations going with and to try and push on. And there's enough of an interest here that we think we can continue to learn and iterate around what we need to build. Because the, the first version we had was essentially a feedback form that if you hit give feedback or contact us or, or some button in your app that brought up AppTenit, a feedback form would show up and you could attach a screenshot, and you could give your email address, and you could send a note, and then all of the conversation went um, into an inbox that that we managed for the customer, and then um, that triggered emails back and forth. And so that version was super, super simple. It wasn't everything that customers wanted. Customers wanted to re- respond back in the app. They wanted to be able to send messages back in the app. They wanted to be able to to start conversations, not just wait until customers. Uh, reached out to them, so we got a lot of feedback about the things that people thought would be really awesome and exciting. So we started to develop a roadmap.
0: So, um, you, you, I mean, presumably you guys had a vision which was much bigger than the the initial product that you built, and and I guess there's always a tendency for um, you know many of us to try and perfect the product before we go out and show it to people and get some feedback. What advice would you have for other entrepreneurs maybe who are struggling with that right now, who maybe have something, but you know, they just don't feel it's it's kind of as far along as they want it to be before they show it to people?
1: Yeah. I mean this is pretty common. And uh in, in some places we've we've done this ourselves. I think there are two things that I would say to any anybody facing that challenge or thinking about that. So the number one regret we probably have as a business is that we didn't start earlier when we started talking about it in 2008, That we had this idea and we should have probably just started making progress and figured it out along the way because we'd be so much further along in terms of what we learned and who we talked to and and time is really important. So, you know, anytime you can get stuff done and, and, uh, moving along. That's great. And, and the really important part about that is that it's in people's hands so they can react to it. And I think a lot of people use the excuse, well, it's not ready for people to see in order to not have to face the music, right? Not have to actually put it in front of somebody and have them tear your baby apart. And so it's just, just one more feature, just one more capability, just this, just that. But I think what they're really doing is kind of hiding behind that in order to not hear what's going on and the most important thing that can happen for any business is to hear from potential customers and to hear from your actual customers to figure out what's good and what's bad and how you can get better and if you're if you're waiting and you think that that one more feature is going to really get you the difference between somebody using it and somebody not more often not you're wrong You, you probably don't even actually know what the customers are going to care about the most.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Okay. Let's talk about how you went about acquiring customers. So you've got this great feedback now. Um, maybe that's helping you to go back and refine the product a a little bit. Um, what were some of the tactical things that you guys did to start getting customers and and how long did it take you to get your first paying customer?
1: Right. Right. So, um, the belief Ever since the early days of the company, in that first month when I was sitting down and writing our blog post, and we were creating the name and all that stuff, the belief was what we were talking about was something new. It was the idea that companies could use software to be more communicative, and they they could actually be proactive about it, and that that would be really powerful and empowering. And it was it was a new idea, and because we believed that it was. Something that was going to lead to change, we also believe that we could be a leader of that change. So we've always taken the approach that we will share our thoughts and content and try to educate people and be a a thought leader. And so our blog was a big area of emphasis, continues to be, where we put out a really, really high quality product on a regular basis. We try to have great writing. Um, One of our first real hires on the marketing side was somebody focused on writing on a regular basis for us named Ezra. And he, he did a great job. And, and now our content marketing manager, Alex does an amazing job on our blog. And if you go there, what you see is high quality writing, great advice. Uh, and it's not, it's not advice that's just like technical or tactical. It's also like thinking about strategic, thinking about the value of, of customer relationships to your business, how to actually prove ROI, how to make your business grow. And so uh, early days, what we were doing was writing a lot of content that we thought could help us acquire customers because we were thought leaders and get links and, and be part of an on, online conversation. And that's that's a long, slow process you have to invest in. So it didn't show results immediately, but from time to time, we would pop up, we would show in Hacker News or or somebody would share us in an influential um, Forum, and then then more people would find us. And then we did buy some AdWords. We, we tested some of the different paid channels, but we ultimately early days weren't weren't successful with that. More often than not, it was elbow grease and time to just go to events to shake hands and meet as a, as many mobile developers as we could. So we went to Seattle events on a regular basis. We actually started. Hosting informal appy hours in 2011 in Seattle and, and when I was in San Francisco and and other places where we just buy developers and people in the mobile space beers in exchange for picking their brains. Um, and every time we did that, we got new contacts and new people we could talk to about using us. And it was just, it was a, it was a real manual effort, you know, day after day, month after month, week after week. And, and I remember (laughs) because we didn't have an office sitting in my apartment and, and sending out 25, 50, 100 emails a day and hearing back from somebody I'd really hoped to hear back from and then getting a no and just being really dejected. Um, but that's how we went about it. And it took, us, it took us about six months from when we started working on the MVP. I think September of 2011, we had our first paying customer. Um, and then we quickly after that got our second paying customer. We were really excited. That was awesome. And then it took probably seven more months to get another paying customer. <laughs> um, wow. And, uh, yeah. yeah it was, uh, it, it's challenging making software that people have to integrate. And, uh, and especially in the mobile, um, mobile arena, SDKs are viewed as a, um, a tax, right? They're, they're sort of costly in order to put stuff in. And so early days, we were really trying to convince people that we mattered at all and that they should do the work required to put us in and then ship a new update with us.
0: So in the first year of business, you guys had, what, two customers? Two paying
1: customers. Yeah. We had, we we had hundreds of people who were on our free plan. We've always had the approach and viewpoint that there are a lot of people out there who are essentially experimenting in the mobile app development space that they're, they're working on a side project or they're cutting their teeth or they're getting up to speed. And we always wanted to make the tools to communicate and listen to customers available to everybody because early days we think listening to your customers is super powerful. It can really mean the difference between um, getting success or not. And we, we knew we always, always really believed that the largest companies in the world were going to be the target audience because they have such big consumer audiences. Um, we we knew that we were going to go there, so we felt like making sure that it was easy for people to get up and running for free was part of our strategy. And so we had hundreds of people who were using us for free, but the people who had graduated to a size with our existing pricing plans where it warranted paying us money—that was a, a small group.
0: Now, a, a lot of people, were, you know, maybe in your situation, who have been working on a product for for the amount of time that you guys had, and you've only got two paying customers to show for that would probably have said, maybe it's time to kind of call it quits. What kept you guys going? (laughs) Me.
1: (laughs) I mean, I, so the, the, over this whole period of time, 2011, I was the only one who was really full-time, um, you know, uh, Sky had a full-time job. Mike had a full-time job and, uh, Andrew Wooster had a very, um, Busy consulting schedule, so all three of those guys were getting income in other places. And, and when I left Yahoo, I had I would saved up for years from WebEx and Yahoo in order to try and go and do something on my own. So I was fortunate to be in a, a place where I had I planned and I had um, money stocked away for my own personal burn. And because I was on it every day, it didn't it didn't matter if uh, we had one customer or two customers or five customers. If all four of us believed this is the right way to go and we were making progress at the best pace that we could we, we had time to keep pushing and keep making progress and um i think that i think that was a big part of it i think if all four of us had been full time without drawing a salary it might have been a lot harder but at the same time if we had all been full time without drawing salary the product might have progressed a lot faster and we, we might have gotten to more paying customers sooner
0: okay so you've got these two paying customers and then you said you had to wait another what was it 7 months
1: yeah probably
0: at what point did you feel like you were getting some meaningful traction? At what point do you feel that this was um, going to become a serious business? Because at this point, you guys hadn't even thought about looking for funding, right?
1: Well, so end of that year, uh, October, November, December, I started talking to some people in Seattle about raising money for it. And I started giving some pitches. And then and in early 2012, I actually did do some more presentations and pitches. And, and ultimately what was happening um, – when I was doing that in Seattle was you know people were just starting to wake up and reinvest um, and they wanted to see more traction and we had interesting conversations, but nobody was biting. So we just kept our heads down and, and kept trying to get customers. And I think that meant um, we were most focused on what our customers who were actually getting up and running were saying. And, and early customers, the first ones who were getting live, were coming back and saying really nice things. Basically they're like, wow, I didn't think it was going to be this good. <laughs> I didn't think it was gonna be this helpful. Like it's pretty simple, but it's very helpful. Um, and then I think the 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 first time we really felt like maybe we were onto something was we'd had a couple kind of meaningful size companies organically sign up, but, but out of the blue Yahoo emailed us, I think it was like April, 2012, maybe it was March, but right around then, um, Yahoo emailed us and, uh, I hadn't used my network. I hadn't gone inside and, and talked to people I used to work with. Tried to find mobile people in order to encourage them to use us. I, I sort of thought we weren't quite ready for that size of company. But Yahoo found us and emailed us and said, "Hey, we'd like to learn more. This is really interesting. We have a bunch of mobile apps and mobiles is an increasing part of the strategy." Um, and so, yeah, this was March. This is March of two thousand and twelve. And so Mike and I went down and actually met with eight execs in a room uh, on their their mobile search team and started to plan out a pilot with them. And we went home and they kept following up with us and it made forward. And that's when we were like, oh, okay. All right. We, this is important. This is important to large companies. This is important to, to lots of people who are sophisticated in the space. And I think that was the first time we really thought this is going to be meaningful.
0: And then at some point uh, when we were talking earlier, you said you you guys sort of shifted strategy and, um, started to focus more on these bigger companies and bigger brands. Um, what did you need to change about the the product to be able to go in that direction? Because it sounds like uh, you already had what somebody like Yahoo needed.
1: Yeah. Well, so the the place we were at and what Yahoo needed at that point in time, um, we were satisfying. We were helping. It was sufficient, but it wasn't very sophisticated in terms of reporting in complexity and segmentation targeting. Uh, and there were a lot of wish wish lists coming from companies like Yahoo and other ones. And so you know, when they came in the door, we quite frankly were not ready to price for them. We hadn't thought about uh, we thought about it, but we hadn't put it on our website and we hadn't really put proposals in front of people. So we we had to really think about our pricing and, and try to change that in order to Move upstream and, and get to a place where it made more sense for, for companies of their size. And then we had to really think about some of the capabilities around targeting and personalization and reporting that would help larger companies talk about ROI internally and justify spending not hundreds of dollars a month with us, but thousands or tens of thousands of dollars a month. And I, that really started to take hold at the end of 2012. We went through the Techstars Accelerator. We started to really move up market and started to present deals to people that were a thousand, two thousand dollars a month. And, and over the course of that, that year, we were starting to really make the transition and the investment into building out a more capable product that was going to be robust, especially for the enterprise. And, and joining Techstars meant that we transitioned from, um, three nights and weekends, people and, and me, uh, to all four of us being able to really be on it every day and And all of that together allowed us to by the end of the year get to a place where we were actually um ready to sell to the enterprise in a more meaningful way
0: Got it, okay, so let's talk about the business today. What sort of revenue are you guys doing <laughs> we don't We
1: don't disclose that um We've definitely passed like the the first meaningful milestone in the the saAS industry, which is uh over the a hundred k a month in m r r but that's that's all we really talk about um and, uh, you know, I think the thing that's useful and interesting to know about our revenue, um, if you know the SaaS business at all, the retention, customer retention rate for our services in the enterprise is really high. In fact, we, we experience what is referred to as negative churn. That is, our customers upsell at a rate gra- greater than they cancel or downsell, meaning that we make more money from our existing customers on wow. the enterprise side.
0: Wow. Know. That's pretty impressive.
1: It's it's uh it's good to be at a place where uh, the entire ecosystem is growing. Mobile audiences are growing really fast, so we we definitely benefit from that.
0: And um, how how big is the company now? How many employees do you have? Uh, about twenty eight. Twenty eight. Wow. So just looking back at this journey that you've taken from back in December two thousand and eight. Uh, where you guys started to talk about the frustrations with the app store and to where you are today. What do you wish you had known back then um, about building this business that maybe would have sort of helped you tackle this a little differently?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think, so I touched on one. I, I wish that we had started earlier. I just wish we had realized, you know, much more early on that, making progress every day against this was was going to be a smart move, and it was going to be helpful. And starting earlier would have been big, but um, this transition to enterprise has definitely taught us a lot about how to approach and market to the enterprise. And over time, we've gotten more sophisticated at it. But um, I think we underestimated the value of just standing up and saying we're an enterprise company. We 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 help companies of all sizes, but the place we're awesome. Is getting a large brand, a very, very, you know, maybe a Fortune 100 retailer, on board, teaching them how to use our tools and communicate with their customers and driving business value internally. I think we maybe shied away from that uh, for too long.
0: Okay, Uh, Roby, it's now time for our lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I'd like you to answer them as quickly as you can. Are you ready? Yeah. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received?
1: Every day, get up and work on the most important thing that you can get done that day.
0: What book would you recommend to our audience and why? Um, there's a
1: great but little little but own book about the early days of Apple by Michael Moritz, who is a very fam- famous venture capitalist at Sequoia Capital now. It's called Return to the Little Kingdom, Steve Jobs and the Creation of Apple. And it's from the early 80s and it's exceptionally enlightening.
0: What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur?
1: A healthy mix of incredible, incredible stubbornness mixed with the ability to listen and ask really great questions and change their thinking.
0: What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? List making. If you had to start over tomorrow, what type of business or problem would you want to go and tackle?
1: I th- so we live here in washington state you and i and i think it would be really interesting just because there's so much green space literally uh to learn more about the legal marijuana recreational industry i just think that it's like <laughs> actually it's a brand new industry it'd be fun to learn about it and see what's going on
0: yeah i mean we're totally legal now, right? <laughs> yeah it'd be,
1: it'd be fascinating
0: <laughs> uh, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know
1: Uh, I was a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. Well, not was, I am a second degree black belt in Taekwondo and I competed nationally for a very long time.
0: Wow. And finally, uh, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work?
1: Spending really quality time with my deep friends, I think it's very easy to work, work, work and think that that's the most important thing. But this this life is about people and the people who matter to you and, and trying to make sure that I have lots of time for that is, is a very important. Thing.
0: Great answers. Rebby, I want to thank you for joining me today and, and sharing your experiences and insights with our audience. And, and thank you for letting us get to know you a little better personally as well. My now, pleasure. If folks want to find out more about Apptentive, they can go to apptentive.com. Uh, if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Uh, the best way is on Twitter. I am at, at RGunguli. That's R-G-A-N-G-U-L-Y. Um, that's definitely a great way to get to me.
0: Awesome. Robbie, thanks again, and I wish you continued success.
1: Thanks so much, Omer.
0: Take Cheers. care. Cheers.